All right, all right. It is the Chief Zone Podcast. My name is Farzim Vesugian. Welcome in. Hope you guys are having a great week. As it is the first week without any Chiefs football since August. Excluding the bye weeks, of course. But you get the idea. Uh, So, kind of a different week. Different podcast this week. Uh, But nonetheless, the show must go on. And as a matter of fact, we're actually doing the podcast one day sooner uh, because of some breaking news, as you can see uh, on the, t- the title of this episode, Bob Sutton has been fired. The Chiefs right now without a defensive coordinator, and there are already two names that have emerged as potential favorites to become the Chiefs defensive coordinator. I'll mention those names, what they've done in the past, and what kind of an impact they could make for the Chiefs. Two very different defensive coordinators also, by the way. So that is worth noting. We will talk about that The Kansas City Star put out a very interesting editorial discussing whether or not the Chiefs are Missouri's team or Kansas' team. And I want to discuss that topic here on this podcast and maybe help squash that debate. Also, a lot of criticism surrounding D. Ford for what happened in the AFC Championship game being offsides. I've got a lot of thoughts on that right there. Also, uh, some news already for next season for the Kansas City Chiefs regarding one of their football games. And we'll also touch on the drama going on with the Saints and the Rams and the bad officiating over the weekend. Overtime talk, all of that. We will talk about that. Plus, hear what one Chiefs fan did during the AFC Championship game. Something pretty silly and ironic. And we'll discuss that and much more on this episode. Welcome in. My name is Farzi Vasugian. Again, like I said, hope you're all having a very good week as uh, you're getting close to your weekend. Uh, I mean, I don't know if uh, the pro... I was about to say it's going to be our first uh, football uh, football less weekend, but technically you've got the Pro Bowl, so I don't know if that really counts. But for what it's worth, the Pro Bowl still does very well in the ratings, so... A lot of people care about that, whether uh, you like to admit it or not. Here's what's funny about the Pro Bowl <laughs> is that a lot of times, fan, like this year, Chiefs fans kept saying, oh, who cares about the Pro Bowl? We're going to be playing in the Super Bowl. But as soon as Eric Fisher got in over Mitchell Schwartz, everybody lost it. Everyone lost their minds <laughs> over the fact that Eric Fisher made the Pro Bowl. So uh, fans care about the Pro Bowl, all right? Fans definitely 100% care about the Pro Bowl. If you guys want to interact with me on social media, facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. Give me a like on Facebook. Follow me on Facebook. You can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21 and email me as well, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Podbean. And share the links as well for the podcast episode. Spread the word with your friends on social media. Just a reminder, next week we will have two episodes leading up to the Super Bowl, and then the week after the Super Bowl, we will have two podcasts uh, that week, and then after, uh, technically the uh, aftermath from the Super Bowl, the one-week aftermath, we will go back to doing one episode per week on the Chiefs Zone podcast uh like i said uh last podcast uh and on social media this week i appreciate all the support all the new listeners we've got 
during the season, uh, especially in the past month. A lot of new followers on social media. I appreciate all of you guys who have been joining us, and hopefully you guys plan on sticking around. I know generally this time of year, every year, we do kind of take a dip with our interactions and the podcast downloads, and I hope to change at this uh, offseason because even though the season for the Chiefs is over, there's still a lot to talk about, and of course, we're going to do so on this podcast. In fact, I really am excited for this offseason. Uh, already trying to book some guests for the offseason, trying to get some people, and I don't want to reveal too much, but we are working on a couple of uh, big names. Uh, in fact, we're trying to, and I don't want to use the word celebrity Chiefs fans, but some uh, notable people out there who are Chiefs fans, uh, maybe people you didn't know but you still follow their work in some way without even realizing it. Uh, and again, I don't want to give names. I, I'm pretty excited for, for some of the potential guests we could have. Uh, but it's going to be a very fun offseason. Uh, a lot to look forward to as the spring and summer approaches for the offseason in the NFL. But that is, of course, for another time. The big news this week for the Kansas City Chiefs and one of the biggest stories in the NFL the Kansas City Chiefs announced on Tuesday afternoon that they have fired defensive coordinator Bob Sutton on Monday. Andy Reid had his postseason press conference where he talked about the coaching staff and there will be evaluation. He mentioned on Monday and NFL Network touched on this as well as Mike Garofolo mentioned that the defensive coaching staff for the Chiefs, uh, they're getting a lot of evaluation right now and they are considering changes there and then of course Tuesday afternoon the word became official the Chiefs sent out a statement uh, stating that Bob Sutton has been let go by the Kansas City Chiefs so the Chiefs right now letting go of Bob Sutton and look there were some positive moments some negative moments under uh, the, the Chiefs defense with Bob Sutton but it started off really great, but then it just got gradually worse and worse and worse. And, I, and that's a big reason that led to his termination. And you look at the Patriots game, and I've I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. 13 of 19 on third down, and then 3 for 3 in overtime. Just unable to stop Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski. And that's a big reason why the Chiefs did not make it to the AFC title game. There are other reasons for that, and I'm going to actually address that later on. And I know a lot of you guys have a lot to say about D Ford, and I've got something to say about that as well. Uh, but one of many reasons, bad defense. And that is something that a lot of Chiefs fans have been wanting for a long time. And look, this is the right move. I've yet to come across a Chiefs fan that is unhappy with this move, and really at the end of the day, this is a move that definitely needs to be made, and you've got to find a way to move forward with this Chiefs team and have a better defense. You're coming off a season where your redshirt rookie quarterback had 50 touchdown passes and 5,000 passing yards. Only three other three QBs in total have done that. Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. So obviously Patrick Mahomes in good company in doing so. And on top of that, the third highest scoring offense in NFL history. So you have all of that going for you on the offensive side. Defensively, this was a very bad Chiefs team. Second to last in the NFL on total defense and near the bottom of the league in a lot of defensive categories. Except... They co-led the NFL in sacks with 52, 
tying the Pittsburgh Steelers. So how is it that this defense that has talent managed to lead the NFL in sacks, but still terrible in so many other areas on defense? Look, whoever is going to be the defensive coordinator of the Chiefs, they're not coming to Kansas City because the Chiefs cleaned house and they desperately need help on the defensive side of the football. Whoever is going to be the defensive coordinator, and again, I'll get to the potential candidates shortly, they're going to walk into a team that has a lot of great talent. And I know there are a couple of potential free agents, and we're going to discuss, we were going to plan on that for this episode, but I'm going to save it for next Monday's episode. But man, there are a lot of great players on this Chiefs defense. If. If the Chiefs defensive coordinator job was open uh, before the season, last offseason in other words, man, there are a lot of defensive coordinators that would have loved to have coached this defense. And if this defense is just average, if they can finish 20th or above in total yards against the run, those kinds of categories where they were near the bottom Uh, of the league in those categories. This Chiefs team probably makes it to a Super Bowl and probably loses fewer games. Maybe goes undefeated, but I I don't want to play the game of what if, what could have been, and all that. Look, and even then, even if you do have a good defense, they'll have a couple of games where they collapse and look bad from time to time. Uh, You know, Patrick Mahomes might have a stretch one day in his career where he has a couple of bad games. Everyone has that from time to time. Look at the Patriots, who the, the Chiefs just lost to in the AFC title game. They lost two games in a row in December, as did the Rams, as well as the Chiefs. But the Rams and the Patriots, uh, teams that lost two in a row in December, are playing in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs made it to a conference final and lost two in a row. The Saints actually took a slip at one point. I can't remember if the Saints lost back-to-back games, but they even took a bit of a dip. So my point is, even the best defenses, uh, which hopefully the Chiefs can get closer to that, uh, they'll have their bad days. They just will. Now, shortly after the firing of Bob Sutton, ESPN's Adam Schefter reported that Rex Ryan is a candidate to replace Bob Sutton. However, Schefter then reported Wednesday morning that Steve Spagnuolo is the frontrunner to be the next defensive coordinator for the Chiefs. So here's how I'm going to view it. And by the way, because uh, this podcast is coming out on Thursday morning, and I know there is a potential of his hiring to happen maybe while you're listening to the podcast. I understand uh, that is the disadvantage we have with podcasting. So to better prepare myself, we will look at Steve Spagnuolo's past and... By the time you're listening to this, or maybe right after you listen to this, if he becomes the head coach, you'll have an understanding of what the Chiefs are getting if Spagnuolo is a defensive coordinator. The reason I am saying that and I'm going in that direction, pretty much it sounds like Steve Spagnuolo, he is going to be the Chiefs defensive coordinator unless something crazy happens if contract negotiations aren't going well or if he suddenly changes his mind Everybody is expecting Steve Stagnolo to be the next defensive coordinator for the Chiefs. When the rumor about Rex Ryan came out, I was actually very excited because you look at Rex Ryan's past, and I'll, I'll bring him up and his past up right now. Uh, 
He was with the Jets from 2009 to 2014 as a head coach and then was the head coach of the Bills from 2015 to 2016. In his first two years with the Jets, 2009 and 2010, Rex Ryan had Mark Sanchez as his quarterback and had the number six seed both seasons. Sanchez was not a very good QB. However, the defense for the Jets was terrific. You could not have asked for anything better from that defense, and they almost took the Jets to two consecutive Super Bowls. They made it to the AFC title game both years, falling short in both of them. And boy, like I said, came very damn close to two Super Bowl appearances. Now, before Rex Ryan became the head coach of the Jets, he was with the Baltimore Ravens from 1999 to 2008, holding a lot of different positions, defensive line coach, assistant head coach, and defensive coordinator. In fact, he uh, became a defensive coordinator in 2005, but was part of their Super Bowl championship run during the 2000-2001 season with the Ravens. And in uh, 2005, he won the NFL, or excuse me, the uh, Pro Football Writers of America NFL Assistant Coach of the Year Award. Now, prior to the Baltimore Ravens, in 1998, he was a defensive coordinator for the Oklahoma Sooners. And in 1999, for one month, he served as the defensive coordinator for Kansas State under Bill Snyder. A lot of uh, Wildcats fans don't seem to remember that one, but that's before Rex Ryan became a notable name. But obviously has a bit of a connection in the area, as you can tell. Of course, uh, serving under former Wildcats coach, illustrious head coach, and Bill Snyder. Now, the thing about Rex Ryan, he does run a 3-4 defensive scheme, although uh, you may uh, be a little bit surprised. He has allowed, when he was with the Bills, he did allow the defensive coordinator over there, uh, trying to find his name, Dennis Thurman. Uh, he let him kind of have full control, and they actually ran a 4-3 defense in Buffalo, and we know that because Reggie Ragland was there, obviously the inside linebacker for the Chiefs, and I'll mention why uh, Ragland being in Buffalo is important, uh, whether Rex Ryan comes to Casey or not, uh, but I'll mention why in a moment, and that kind of reverts back to Steve Spagnolo. and again, Rex Ryan, I'd be in favor of him coming to Kansas City, you have that aggressive style, defensive players loved playing for Rex Ryan and he's had really a good defense just about everywhere he's gone except for the Buffalo Bills in those two years where he was the head coach but look I said this on social media and I'll say it now just about anybody would be a significant improvement uh, replacing Bob Sutton they just would but again going back to Steve Spagnuolo and the accomplishment he's had First off, his defensive scheme, 4-3 guy, and I'll touch on that shortly because that does concern me a bit, but he has a blitz-heavy approach, which includes some corner and safety blitzes, maybe more than what some defenses would do with their corners and safeties. Uh, His mentor, Jim Johnson, taught him uh, some of that stuff. Uh, Jim Johnson was the defensive coordinator under Andy Reid in Philadelphia, which is where... Steve Spagnuolo learned from, from 1999 to 2008, Jim Johnson was a defensive coordinator, uh, and, and again, I'll, I'll mention Spagnuolo's run with the Eagles. By the way, the, the, the blitz-heavy approach, he didn't seem to do a lot of that in New Orleans, and you'll learn later 
that they did bad that year. So we'll touch on that shortly. But he uses smaller defensive linemen. And he did this uh, with the New York Giants in his first stint there where he would have three or even four defensive ends in certain packages to go pressure a quarterback. And this actually worked to perfection when the Giants stunned the Patriots in their quest uh, in trying to go 19-0, trying to win the Super Bowl. They're the only game that they did not win. Brady was sacked five times in that game, the most that Brady had been sacked in all 19 games, uh, regular and uh, regular season and postseason, for the Patriots. And again, it happened the time he lost. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. Now look, Brady came close to losing a game to the Chiefs where he was never sacked, barely even touched in this football game. But more times than not, when you can get a quarterback... That many times, like the Giants did in that Super Bowl, well, then that generally leads to success in the long run. You win your football game and you try to carry that over to the next week. Looking at Steve Spagnuolo's past, starting with 2007, the New York Giants finishing 7th in total defense, 11th against the pass, 8th against the run, 17th in points per game. In fact, the Giants led the NFL in sacks with 53 Spagnolo, or after uh, that, after winning a Super Bowl against the Patriots, uh, received some head coaching uh, considerations, but decided to stay with the Giants. He earned a three-year deal worth roughly two million dollars per season, making him one of the highest-paid defensive coordinators in the NFL. You look at the job he did the following season with the Giants in 2008: eighth in total defense, eighth against the pass, ninth against the run, and fifth. And points per game, they were also in the top 10 in sacks and interceptions. So a very good season defensively. And that's what got him the head coaching job with the St. Louis Rams uh, in 2009, 2010, and 2011. Unfortunately, not a good run for him. You look at the defenses those years with the Rams back when they were in St. Louis. In 2009, the Rams went 1-15. in And nearly the bottom of the league in almost all of those categories that I just mentioned. Total defense against the pass, against the run, total total points allowed, as well as sacks and interceptions. In 2010, significant improvement. Went from 1-15 to 7-9. And and you started to become a more mediocre football team. 19th in total defense and against the pass. 17th against the run and 12th in points per game. 19th in total picks. Top 10 in sacks. 7th to be exact with 43, so that was good to see from the Rams. However, they took a huge step back in 2011 where they finished 2-14. and 14 And they were 7th against the pass, but I think it has to do, do with the fact that teams just ran the ball on them because they blew them out in so many games. They were 31st against the run. And in the middle of the league, when it came to recording interceptions and sacks, he was fired by the Rams after a 10-38 and 38 record the second worst among coaches and head coaches in franchise history. Now, coincidentally, uh, we talked about Greg Williams possibly being a defensive coordinator here. Uh, He actually, uh, after being fired by the Rams, he replaced Greg Williams in New Orleans. And this is actually kind of a bad year to join the Rams. Greg Williams just received a suspension from the Bounty Gate, and Sean Payton had been suspended for the entire 2012 season. So Spagnolo ended up serving under Joe Vitt and Aaron Cromer 
who were the head coaches for the Saints that season. And unfortunately, a bad year for the Saints. They were either last or second to last in total defense against the pass, against the run, and in points allowed per game. And I mentioned earlier, uh, he has that blitz-heavy approach. However, he never implemented that in New Orleans, and they finished either last or second to last in a lot of categories, and I don't think that's no accident there. Look at what Bob Sutton did against the Patriots. Absolutely no effort in trying to send an extra blitzer to go after Tom Brady, and I think that played a big role in the Jets coming away with a win against Chiefs. So uh, that is something to keep in mind with Steve Spagnuolo coming into Kansas City. Uh, you look at what happened to him after New Orleans. He spent some time as a defensive assistant for the Ravens. Then he reunited with Tom Coughlin in uh, New York uh, with the Giants in 2015. However, they were dead last in total defense and against the run. Uh, they were a top 10 intercepting team, but third to last in sacks. And Tom Coughlin did get fired. However, Spagnuolo managed to keep his job there, but only for a couple of more years. 2016, not a bad year for the Giants defense. 10th in total defense, 3rd against the run, 23rd against the pass, though, which isn't good. 2nd uh, in points allowed per game, uh, which tie, uh, that tied with New England for 2nd place. Uh, this is kind of interesting. Kansas City, Baltimore, and San Diego, they led the league with 19 interceptions in 2016. Uh, excuse me, 2016. And then the Giants, Packers, Bucks. Panthers and Bengals. They tied fourth with 17 interceptions. So three teams, including the Chiefs, led the league with 19 picks, or maybe it was 18. Uh, I may have that as a mistake on here. Uh, I think it's 18. And then the Giants, uh, Packers, Bucks, Panthers, and Bengals, five teams were tied fourth in the NFL with 17 interceptions but in 2017 not a good year for the Giants defense 31st in total defense and near near the bottom of the league in almost everything in fact uh, Spagnuolo became the interim head coach for the final four games where he went one and three as an interim winning the last game of the regular season against the Redskins but obviously the uh, the Giants wanted to clean house and that is exactly what they did, and Steve Spagnuolo was a part of that. Now, it looks like he could be on his way to Kansas City and could be the next defensive coordinator replacing Bob Sutton. Now look, I did say that I would rather have Rex Ryan, but also welcome Steve Spagnuolo to Kansas City. I'd be both excited and nervous, maybe a little bit more nervous Seeing this team switch to the 4-3 under Spagnuolo. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know exactly uh, who would convert to what position and how exactly they would do in those areas. Obviously, going from a 3-4 to a 4-3, Justin Houston, D. Ford, uh, Tano Passanio, and Breland Speaks, they would convert from outside linebackers to defensive ends. As a matter of fact, uh, D. Ford was drafted as a defensive end. And I believe Breland Speaks... Playing at Ole Miss was also drafted as a defensive end. Uh, Anthony Hitchens, he is likely to play as a middle linebacker in a 4-3 scheme. In fact, that's what he did in Dallas and excelled there. Like I mentioned, he missed uh, four games in 2017, yet he, after missing the first four games, he still was second on the Cowboys' defense in sacks, so he definitely excelled while he was in Dallas, uh, especially against the run. Very good defender against the run. Uh, Reggie Ragland, 
Uh, he was an outside linebacker in Buffalo's 4-3 defense when he was with them in 2016. Never played a game in the regular season nor in the preseason, but in practices, that is where he lined up according to OurLads.com. Uh, he was an outside linebacker in Buffalo where Rex Ryan was the head coach there. That's why I mentioned Rex Ryan and how interesting it would be because he runs a 3-4 defense. However, he let Dennis Thurman, his defensive coordinator, have full control of that defense while Ryan was there. Ryan focusing more on the head coaching side of things while he let his offensive and defensive coordinators just kind of take care of the personnel on that side there. Now, things do get a little bit interesting. I mean, what happens with some of the other players on this defense? How exactly would they line up? Guys like Chris Jones and Alan Bailey. Jones obviously coming off an amazing 2018 season and you want to keep him for as long as possible. Alan Bailey was a solid contributor for the Chiefs defensive front this past season. Uh, do they both end up playing defensive tackle uh, along with Xavier Williams and Derek Nadi? Nadi, of course, was a draft pick this past year. So I'm, I'm kind of curious about that. How would the Chiefs handle some of their personnel uh, switching to the 4-3? Uh, again, I know some of these guys have their experiences. D. Ford was drafted as a defensive end, as was Breland Speaks. You look at Reggie Ragland and Anthony Hitchens. They have a little bit of experience learning from the 4-3 defense in the NFL. So this is not... Brand new territory for them, but you would need some time to get acclimated. I still remember when the Chiefs switched from a 4-3 to a 3-4 in 2009. These are guys like Tom Bahali needing a little bit of time to adjust and get used to things in the 4-3. So I'd be very curious to see how that pans out for the Kansas City Chiefs under the defensive personnel they have. It's a great personnel. Uh, I know guys like uh, Dan Sorensen, maybe not the greatest season. Kendall Fuller, Steven Nelson, but... Uh, at the same time, I think a defensive coordinator switch could do wonders for this Chiefs defense. And that's something I'd be very excited to see uh, if Spagnuolo comes in. What do the Chiefs do defensively? That'll be up to Brett Veach and Andy Reid. But I think you can see a lot getting accomplished on the defensive side of the football. And you'll see a much more balanced, balanced football team for the Kansas City Chiefs in coming years. Let me know your thoughts on all of this. Do you like the idea of C. Stagnola coming to Kansas City? And if he does uh, become the head coach, or excuse me, defensive coordinator, and if it's announced, we will immediately discuss that on there. And again, you can let me know your thoughts on the Facebook page as soon as I make that post. Uh, a couple of quick notes here for the Pro Bowl. Travis Kelsey, the 2017 offensive MVP in the Pro Bowl. He has withdrew from the Pro Bowl. Raiders side end Jared Cook will replace him. However, Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, Eric Fisher, Anthony Sherman, and D. Ford, uh, they will all play, or they're expected to play, on Sunday in the Pro Bowl. All of them are practicing right now with the rest of the Pro Bowlers. I do want to touch on one thing real quickly. Uh, because... I know this has been a debate for a long time, and it's going to continue to be, and I've never understood why. Uh, The Kansas City Star, uh, I read this Wednesday night, there's an editorial on their website as to why the Chiefs are not Missouri's team, and they belong to the state of Kansas. Look, I live in Kansas, and I'm saying that because a lot of times when I give an opinion like this, I I guess I kind of have to give my background credentials just so people wonder if I'm being biased or not, or what am I saying? Do I know what I'm saying because of that extra fact about me? No, none of that is relevant at all. I'm just saying that for fun to let you guys know I am from Kansas. However, 
Uh, if I'm being honest, this is a stupid topic. I hate when people talk about who the Chiefs belong to, who the Royals belong to, who Sporting KC belongs to. Uh... They belong to fans on both sides of the border. Now, the Kansas City Stars' argument was the fact that the St. Louis market, sure, they lost their football team, but at the end of the day, the eastern side of Missouri does not give a damn about what's going on with the Chiefs or the Royals or Sporting KC. And I can understand that. Maybe football-wise, that has been a a, a switch. But uh, I, I still think, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not exactly sure... What what do people gain from saying that the Chiefs are Missouri's team? Uh, look, they're in Missouri, so are the Royals and Sporty KC, they're in Kansas. But let's just be honest with one another. Does it make an impact as to what side of the border the teams play? I mean, it's just a location. Look at the Kansas Jayhawks. I mean, they are the Kansas Jayhawks, but they do go to the state of Missouri and they'll play a game at the Sprint Center and the Wildcats do this as well. Obviously, you know, there are a lot of, and I get college and the pro level, they're two different things, uh, but they go to a different state in Missouri to play that home game. Uh, I mean, they'll play, they'll have their own logo at midcourt, but at the end of the day, when you look at the pro teams here, Look, the Chiefs belong to both teams, all right? I, I, I don't get this. Oh, no, they're Missouri State. Oh, oh, no, but there are more people from Kansas who come in. I I don't care. I'm from Kansas, and I don't care. Let me be honest with you. And, again, I understand there are a lot of people who are outside of Kansas and Missouri, and I do apologize if this is absolutely irrelevant to you. So bear with me on this. But I want to ask all of you Kansas and Missourians a question. Be honest, does it make an impact what side of the border the team's playing for your fandom? Does it really? Do you care? Why do you care? Let's say the the Chiefs do play in your state, in Missouri. So what? What do you gain from this? What, what bragging rights do you earn from this? Yeah, I don't think you earn anything. It is just... A location. This is no different than a Chiefs fan from Texas or California, New York, Florida, listening to the podcast right now. Because we do have listeners from all over, but those guys are obviously not from Kansas nor Missouri. Are they not allowed to be Chiefs fans? Uh, and I and I say that jokingly. I ask that jokingly because a lot of times when people use the States as bragging tool. It's almost like, hey, you have to be from this state or living in this state in order to be considered a Royals fan or a Chief. And I don't get that. I really, really don't. Uh, never been a fan of that. And I hope this topic drops soon. Horrible article, uh, or editorial rather, on the KC Stars website. I'm just not a fan of this topic. I'm not. Okay. The, the Chiefs belong to both states. They do. That's the way I see it. Sure, when you go to Western Kansas, when you get to places like Hayes, Kansas, maybe a majority of them there are Broncos fans, and that's certainly okay. You can only control what you can, but uh, they belong to both teams. I've never been a fan of this ridiculous 
argument as to who has the better fan, which state has the better Chiefs fans. Okay, what do you gain from this? What what does that make the team better in any way? I don't think it does. I don't think it does. A couple things before we wrap things up and do the closing segments. First off, uh, the D Ford criticism for offsides. Look, he deserves every criticism for that play. But to say he's the reason why the Chiefs lost and to attack him on Twitter is asinine. By the way, there was a woman in England by the name of D Ford and she has been getting lots of hate tweets from Chiefs fans. Probably had no idea what in the hell this was about. Kind of like the uh, the guy who's John Jones and he, he gets mistake, m- mistaken for the UFC fighter John Jones on Twitter. Uh, f- funny story uh, while I'm at it. Uh, I remember last year when there was a rumor that Bob Sutton got fired. I tried to look this up on Twitter. Couldn't find a, uh, a reliable source for it. But I did find some accounts with the name Bob Sutton. And there's one guy. He looks like he's in high school. He has this bio like, oh, I like video games. I like to watch movies. I like to work out. And then he adds in his bio, I'm the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs. And I think this guy ended up deleting Twitter because I, I was trying to look for him and I can't find him anymore. Maybe he just changed his bio and I didn't realize it. But uh, that was pretty funny to see. To pretty much just take in the the fact that he has the same name as then Chiefs defensive coordinator Bob Sutton. But people are trying to attack D Ford on Twitter and that is wrong, man. Uh, I, I just don't like this. A lot of people want him gone. People are saying he should never be brought back. It is ridiculous, man. Just because of one play. Let me say something. Patrick Mahomes missed two wide-open touchdowns early. Kelsey had multiple drops in this game. Tyreek Hill had a punt return that went for negative yardage, and because of that, it helped the Patriots on get the football back from that drive on a three and out, get an easy field goal, essentially. The Chiefs' defense had some mishaps. Eric Berry drops an interception. Obviously, D. Ford lined up offsides. The Chiefs' defense hardly got any pressure on Tom Brady in this football game. And the defense, 13 of 19 on third down, three third and 10 conversions allowed in overtime. So I just gave you a big line. I don't know how, how many of those I can. By the way, I didn't mention this. The offensive line, terrible job blocking for Mahomes. So I've given you... Myriad reasons why the Chiefs lost to the Patriots. It was not just because of D. Ford. And it had nothing to do with the refs or overtime rules. There were plenty of reasons and plenty of chances uh, as to why the Chiefs lost and and, and could have uh, avoided overtime. But obviously, neither one happened. Listen, I get that everybody in Kansas City loves Patrick Mahomes because of how he's turned the team around, and rightfully so. However, you can still support Patrick Mahomes, but also criticize him for those missed touchdowns for valid reasons. Same criticism for any other player on this team. No one on this team is too good to not be criticized. I say that because I saw a tweet uh, of someone bashing D Ford. However, they refused to criticize. Patrick Mahomes, admittedly, because of what he's done this year. Really? If you want to go in that direction, D. Ford had 13 sacks this year. That's among the most in the NFL. And on top of that, had seven forced fumbles. That tied for most in the NFL with J.J. Watt. 
So to say Mahomes is the reason why the Chiefs are here, D Ford is one of a couple of reasons why the Patriots, or excuse me, the Chiefs defense isn't as terrible as they could have been. It looked like they were dead last and terrible at everything, but not quite. Not exactly the case. By the way, a lot of people are saying that D Ford shouldn't be brought back because he's, quote, always hurt. Uh, first and foremost, 2017 was the only season where Ford actually missed significant playing time with the Chiefs. Second of all, nobody said a peep about D Ford being, quote, always hurt. No one said anything about that as the season went along. And as the season went along, D Ford had 13 sacks, 7 forced fumbles, and ranked as the top pass rusher among edge defenders by Pro Football Focus above Von Miller, J.J. Watt, and Khalil Mack, to name a few. So for D. Ford to have this kind of an impact on this Chiefs team, especially the defense that hasn't been very good, and to attack him like that, completely unacceptable. And quite honestly, I'm disgusted as 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 a Chiefs fan to see this. To clarify one thing, because I got comments about this when I said it on social media, I never said, don't criticize D. Ford. I never protected or defended any of these players. All I'm saying to Chiefs fans and all sports fans, you need to know that when your favorite sports team, when they win or lose, there are plenty of factors as to why a play happens or why a win happens, why a loss happens. Plenty of reasons as to why those things happened. Oh, and by the way, Chiefs fans, you know, this is not a good look for you. And on top of that, not a good postseason with the snowballs thrown and the kid who got hit with the bottle and had to get stitches on his lip. Uh, just not a good look. It's not right to attack someone on social media because of one mishap. Listen, if D Ford lined up offsides on an incompletion or a touchdown play for the Patriots, no one gives a damn about D offsides anymore after that. But because it happened on a play where something really good happened for the Chiefs, that's when that play, the offsides, neutral zone infraction, whatever you want to call it, gets the most amount of attention. And Chiefs fans need to be better than this. The guy had one screw up. Big deal. Mahomes overthrew two guys in this game. Two touchdown passes early. And you can't sit here and tell me that you're going to not criticize Mahomes, but you'll criticize everyone else when, listen, Mahomes has that magic in him. But you you do you, sports fans. You do you. Last thing before we do our closing segments, uh, breaking news for the Chiefs 2019 schedule. The Chiefs and Chargers will throw down in Mexico City in 2019 next season. The Chargers will be the home team. As you may remember, the Chiefs and Rams, they were supposed to play in Mexico this past year. Unfortunately, not the case. You look at the Mexico series, the Raiders and Texans, they played in Mexico on November the 21st. And then the Raiders and Pats played on November the 19th. Both games were Monday Night Football games. The Chiefs and Rams were supposed to play on November the 19th. 
However, that got relocated. That was also supposed to be a Monday Night Football game, and it still was. But for a primetime international game, they wanted that to be Monday Night Football. So odds are the Chiefs and Chargers are going to play each other in mid to late November, and it will be a Monday Night Football broadcast. So uh, we know this much. The Chiefs have at least one Monday Night Football game this year, and that will be against the Chargers. Let me know your thoughts on everything we discussed. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vasugian. Twitter.com slash Farzine21. Plus my email, Farzine at FarzineVasugian.com. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. All right, I got to discuss this referee drama because everyone's getting into it. The Saints, they did not get that pass interference call at the end of regulation or right before the end of regulation. The Rams also, I mean, look, I mean, there were things that didn't go their way either. Uh, Jared Goff had his face mask grabbed, and the refs didn't call that on the Saints. Uh, Tom Brady managed to draw roughing the passer from a light touch, uh, on a light touch from Chris Jones, I should say. And Eric Berry completely held Gronk all the way through a play. And did not get flagged for it. Okay, look, we got to solve these things. We absolutely have to. Here are my two suggestions for this. Number one, add extra officials, okay? Some assistant officials, they have multiple things to keep an eye on. And it's just not easy for them to... uh, For for example, one of the back judges has to watch two or three different battles at the line of scrimmage. And it's not easy to watch all of them and keep track of a holding penalty here or there or illegal use of hands, whatever the case may be. So add extra officials, maybe two or three extra officials. I don't know. what. However many you need to help nullify some of these mistakes because referees do have a big hand in all of these. And again, let me be clear, all 32 teams deal with these issues. I don't care who you are. I, I'm tired of the narrative that the Pats get all the calls. You notice that because they win more. But even the worst teams, they get some lucky breaks and lucky calls here and there. They do. Trust me. Follow them. Follow their games closely if you would. You'll notice that. But there's one suggestion. Add extra officials uh, for each officiating crew. Number two, give teams three challenges and let everything be reviewable. Even if you get all three challenges right, you don't get a fourth challenge. Max is three. Now, obviously, like always, scoring plays, turnovers, inside two minutes in overtime. Let the officials handle that. But a lot of people will say this could extend games, however. Listen, I agree. You know, if everything can be reviewable and if you have three challenges total, and if the referees still review the play like those uh, I mentioned in those categories, overtime, scoring plays, turnovers... Uh, yeah, it could extend games, but you know what? I am all for longer games if it means taking the time to make sure the right calls are being made. I know Saints fans are mad because of that missed PI call and all that. Folks, mistakes happen to all 32 teams. It just so happened that the Saints mistake happened at a brutally bad time. It, it, that's just the way it works. Also, Third suggestion, train these refs some more in the offseason. I think they need to do that. In the Bears and Eagles wildcard game, there was that weird incompletion 
that the refs actually got the right call. However, they incorrectly announced it to the crowd. It's just one of those things. By the way, stop complaining about overtime. Both teams had 60 minutes to avoid overtime. Saying that my team didn't get possession in overtime, that's a silly excuse. It should be sudden death. You had 60 minutes to prevent OT. The Chiefs defense failed on three third and ten conversions in overtime that they allowed. Winning a coin toss in overtime, by the way, does not guarantee you the game. Just ask the Saints who won the coin toss in their overtime in the NFC Championship game. By the way, last thing I want to touch on for this segment, a lot of people are saying that Tony Romo should be a defensive coordinator. I said this right after the very first game he announced. Go to YouTube and look up the game between the Raiders and the Titans and Tony Romo broadcasting that game. He basically predicted every play possible and he was very accurate on a lot of his predictions right there. And listen, I agree. Tony Romo should be a defensive coordinator. If he sees what's coming and Bob Sutton doesn't, maybe teams need to call Tony Romo and see if he'd be available to be a defensive coordinator. I know generally former quarterbacks become offensive coordinators, but in some cases maybe a a former quarterback could be a better asset as a defensive coach. Look, I think Tony Romo could very well be one of those guys. Maybe being a broadcaster helps him see certain things that maybe he never noticed before. And now he just has that defensive mindset that maybe he never thought he had before. I don't know, but I think Tony Romo, and I've said this for a long time, he should be a defensive coordinator in the NFL. Let's go out of bounds. This is very interesting. Uh, Bleacher Report put out a very interesting article about Penn State quarterback Trace McSorley. And how he set 10 school records during his time at Penn State in three years. A couple of those categories. Wins, rushing yards, rushing touchdowns by a quarterback. Passing yards, passing touchdowns, and total offense. Just to name a few. Uh, He really has been credited for lifting the Penn State program. As Penn State was recovering from the aftermath of the sanctions. They dealt with from the Jerry Sandusky scandal as... Penn State was put on probation for a few years. Uh, A lot of success at the college level. But how will that translate in the NFL? A lot of scouts are doubting him. According to Matt Hayes of Bleacher Report, because of his size and the system that he played in college, and it would not translate well in the NFL. Look, there are a lot of great college players and quarterbacks, the position that's noted the most. And because of their size or the system they play in, look at Todd Reising with the Kansas Jayhawks. Look at Chase Daniel with Mizzou. Uh, Guys who had great careers during their times with KU and MU, but they just didn't end up doing so well. I mean, Chase Daniel hasn't gotten many opportunities, and maybe there's a reason for that. Uh, Todd Reising, I I think he got signed by an NFL team, but barely uh, was under contract. Just didn't pan out well. It's because of the system and the offense that they played in. And, you know, I think that's a very tough thing. And I think now with Patrick Mahomes and what you saw him do at Texas Tech and how that translated to the NFL, people thought, look, it was a Big 12. He's not going to have that success in the NFL. Well, if he's under the right system with the right coaches, then maybe a guy like Trace McSorley can prove everybody wrong and can have the success that he had in college and translate that to the NFL. I don't know. 
I just think it depends on who you're surrounded by with players, the personnel, coaches, and the system. I think that's a big part of it in football. James Harden, by the way, uh, here is your clear-cut MVP in the NBA. Harden already has games in this month where he scored 57 points in a game and 58 points in a game. Now he's topped that with his career-high 61 points Wednesday night against the New York Knicks. By the way, James Harden has hit 30 points for 21 consecutive games. That is not an easy thing to do. I get LeBron James is very valuable to the Lakers, but Harden is just having a great season. He really is. He really gives the Rockets a big big boost, especially in that competitive Western Conference. And look, you could make a case that the Lakers, who just dropped out of the eighth seed in the NBA Western Conference, that they need LeBron badly, and he is uh, worthy for the most valuable player because without him, the Lakers don't even make the playoffs. I get that. Uh, but Harden's just having a great season. The whole most valuable player award, the the word valuable, it does get a little mixed up there. I think people mix in who is very valuable to their team in addition to who is playing very well, who ha- who is putting up big numbers. So there is that mix right there. By the way, speaking of LeBron James, it's kind of funny, and I had to laugh as a Chiefs fan. Vegas betters are angry because LeBron has been listed as day-to-day since Christmas, and he has yet to play. Try being a Chiefs fan, Vegas betters. Try being a Chiefs fan, because I believe there was one specific safety who was day-to-day for three months, and boy, was that a mystery. That was a mystery of an injury. Last thing I want to talk about on this segment, the WWE Royal Rumble, I believe, takes place this Sunday. It's always the week after the conference championship week. That way they do it on the uh, night of the Pro Bowl because there is not a lot of competition with NFL games that weekend. Let me say this. I used to be a big WWE fan growing up. I don't watch it as much anymore. But I always make an effort to follow the Royal Rumble. It's an exciting time. It really is. It's probably, I will even say this right now. The Royal Rumble is a better pay-per-view than WrestleMania. It's just a very exciting time. Sometimes you have guys that come back to wrestling. Maybe a guy like Hulk Hogan or The Rock uh, will make a surprise appearance. I remember uh, the WWE did something. I, I, they used to have celebrities uh, compete in the Royal Rumble. I remember Drew Carey came out once, but I don't think they do that anymore. By the way, they now have a Women's Royal Rumble, which started last year with Ronda Rousey coming uh, out at the end of the Women's Royal Rumble. So uh, you got two Royal Rumbles to look forward to now, which is pretty cool. WWE Royal Rumble, hot take, better than WrestleMania. Final segment of the show, let's throw some penalty flags. Hey, a very successful weekend for the UFC. They just had their first broadcast on ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. Very cool and a monumental moment for the sport of MMA. Now on the worldwide leader in sports. Uh, Got to throw uh, two flags in one here. One to former Dallas Cowboys pro bowler Greg Hardy, who need a grounded opponent. That was a dumb move and... Look, Greg Hardy looks like he could be a very good fighter, but he's got to know the rules. You just have to know the rules, and that's what you look like in your UFC debut. And the UFC 
really relying on him. They made him the co-headliner for the UFC, the first UFC event on an ESPN broadcast. I get it was ESPN Plus, but still, that's a big deal. Second flag I got to throw, TJ Dillashaw, the bantamweight champion who dropped to flyweight to challenge Henry Cejudo, the flyweight champion. Uh, and he failed to capture the flyweight belt. In fact, he got beat in 32 seconds, got TKO'd. And he said in the post-fight press conference, or actually in his post-fight interview with John Anik, he said, Henry Cejudo didn't beat me. You lost in 32 seconds, bro. Yes, a bit of an early stoppage, but TJ Dillashaw was getting beat. He just was. And if the referee didn't stop it, Henry Cejudo would just continue to beat him up for one or two more seconds. And those one to two extra seconds, I think the referee would have then gotten criticized for a late stoppage. Some people are criticizing him for an early stoppage, and I disagree, strongly disagree. But if he let that fight go on for one or two more seconds, he gets criticized for a late stoppage there. So, TJ Dillashaw, you lost that fight fair and square. I, I hate when people lose and they say, oh, they didn't beat me, man. They, they did it. They just said, stop being a sore loser. You lost fair and square. This is pretty funny. So, Tony Romo mentioned during the broadcast in the fourth quarter that a fan was on the field. And generally, the live broadcast, they are not allowed to show this. However, people pull out their phones in the uh, local media. uh, When they have their cameras on the sidelines, they will gladly film this because they know that the live broadcast will not show it. However, they'll get all the ratings. They'll get all the views on social media if they do this. So a fan, I'm guessing he's a Chiefs fan, ran onto the field with two signs. One of them that says, vote Trump. And the other one that says, build that wall. Buddy, you jumped over a wall and you're promoting the wall for the U.S.-Mexico border. You see the irony in that? That's not good. Not good at all. And going back to that Chiefs and Patriots game one more time. So, look. We can't, as Chiefs fans, we can't call the Patriots cheaters. We can't be angry at that Patriots fan who threw beer at Tyree Kill, yet do the things we did. I mentioned throwing uh, someone threw a a beer bottle at a kid last week who had to uh, uh, get stitches on his lip. Chiefs fans were throwing snowballs on the field, which was completely uncalled for. Here's one that is definitely uncalled for. Somebody was aiming a laser at Tom Brady on three different plays. One of them led to an interception, although I don't think that had anything to do with the laser pointer because it was on a tip pass to Julian Edelman. Uh, But look, uh, what does that make us as fans? You know, I mentioned some of the things, the D Ford incident and the throwing the bottles and snow and... Now you're flashing a laser at Tom Brady. It's it's uncalled for. It really is. And the NFL is investigating it. Not a good look for your football fan base. Not at all. And look, I hope they figure out who it was. I doubt they will. But you do not deserve to go back to a game ever again. Is that really... First of all, how do you sneak in those things? Because that was a fairly big laser that was pointed at Tom Brady. Uh, and I'm not quite sure how how big the laser pointer itself is or... How it got brought in, but security's got to do a better job. Uh, I'm sure this this did happen at another stadium. I can't remember with which quarterback, but 
Uh, boy, you, you've got to be very careful because that is... I mean, that, that can really do damage on an eye. It really can. And that's not something you would ever want to happen to you. So don't do it to another player on the field. Okay, I have to give my two cents on this. Everybody is talking about Nick Sandman, the high school student uh, from Kentucky, uh, from a Christian high school, who had that very weird, odd-looking grin at a Native American. Breaking news to everybody that has an opinion on this. Everybody in that video was in the wrong. Everybody is at fault in that video. Uh, By the way, people are pretending like it's just a grin. He clearly has this grin like he's mocking or taunting or making fun of the Native American folks. Let's be honest, please. If anyone grins at you like that out on the street, you would not like that. In fact, you might even be vigilant if the person would try to scare you or maybe try to get physically violent. You would you would definitely be you would be kind of freaked out by that. I know I would. In fact, I wouldn't feel safe. I would probably have a fist ready, wondering why is this person looking at me like that? I might even confront them and said, say, hey, what the hell? What are you looking at? Uh, let me put it to you this way. If you're walking past a police officer or a politician, a lawmaker, you know, because, you know, you know, those guys always bend the rules in their favor. If, uh, if you're walking past a police officer or a politician like that, would you smirk like that at them? No, you wouldn't. And you know exactly why you wouldn't. So let's not defend Nick Sandman here. By the way, he wrote it. He got some help with this. But he wrote a statement trying to defend himself that was almost two and a half pages long. It says he didn't do anything and that his school welcomes people of all races. And uh, he 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 uh, claims that he was saying a prayer to himself in his head. Kind of a weird thing to do while you're smirking like that. Uh, he also apparently, according to the statement, asked his teachers at one point if it was okay to do the school song, sing the school song, the school spirit song. Why do you need permission? First of all, why do you even know your school spirit song? I don't even know what the hell mine was. I don't even know what the KU one is. I just know at one point you say Rock Chalk Jayha KU. I don't know why or why do you need permission from your teacher to sing it? And why would you sing it all of a sudden? Uh, That's kind of weird. This guy made a lot of excuses in his two and a half page statement. Uh, For someone that's trying to really defend himself, you're trying a bit too hard with those two and a half pages. You definitely are. And by the way, I mentioned everyone's at fault. The Native American did approach him. Why? I don't know. Like I said, he uh, Nick uh, claimed that he was saying a prayer in his head while making that weird smirk. That's kind of interesting. Uh, I, I've never known anyone to smirk like that while praying. That's very interesting. I'd be very interested to know more about that. Uh, by the way, a lot of kids circled around the Native American and they started filming and shouting like they were waiting for a street fight to, to, to happen. Other kids actually joined in, started dancing and mocking the Native American tradition started uh, making fun of the the, the, the tune uh, to the music the Native American was singing. Uh, there were there were a lot of things wrong there. Okay, everybody was at fault. So let's not like there was one person right, one not. And people are also making a note of the uh, "Make America Great Again" hat that Nick was wearing. And I look all okay, sure. I mean, I think that had something to do with it. Uh, generally, when you see people with that hat. 
you're, I mean, you're going to get frowned upon. You just will. So, uh, and again, the, the smirk he had with the hat on, I mean, I, I'm sure he was trying to send a statement to, to the Native American. How could you say he was not? Definitely had to, had to do something with, with, with what, what was going on there. Definitely sent a statement to the guy, and it just got him in trouble. I don't support the death threats. I, I never like this kind of, hearing about those kinds of things, but uh, look, kid. Uh, he says in in an in interview, I can't remember with who, ABC or NBC, he says he wishes he would have walked away. Look, I get people that age don't make their, the smartest decisions, but you should be old enough, especially now with social media. I think kids have to know what what kind of troublemakers are there and how you get into trouble you have to know in that situation to just not even be there there's no reason for you to be there i think when you're old enough in high school you should know that kind of a bad situation and uh, everyone involved uh they uh they got in trouble uh and again there's there's with video now in social media when you get caught saying something uncalled for in public, uh, your face gets caught. Kind of like that uh, lawyer who was attacking the two uh, women who were talking in Spanish, saying, hey, speak English in this restaurant. Uh, he owned a law firm, and that got shut down because people filmed them his face, and they recognized who he was, so he got busted for it. you got to be careful with what you're doing out in public nowadays, folks. I- even if you're in your own home, you just never know. I mean, if someone records you, if your friend or your brother records you and uploads it thinking, hey, this is going to be funny, everyone's going to laugh, but then it just backfires against you. You just never know nowadays. you got to be very careful with everything you're saying. I keep saying this over and over again, more so with social media topics, uh, but, man, it just shocks me that... haven't Don't we have enough examples of stupid incidents like this where it just leads to nothing but trouble and again I'm not talking criminal activity here but let's be honest this Nick gentleman here he's not in a good position right now in his life he really wants this moment to pass as fast as possible and it will but it feels like time is moving by very slow when you're getting all these death threats and social media posts and again I'm not in favor of any of that I'm not condoning any of it but you know very well in today's age that this could have been easily avoided and you know people around you are filming should have just walked away. And he's right, but he realized that a little too late. Let me know your thoughts on that topic. Anything we discuss on this episode of the Chiefs on Podcast, of course, the biggest story, Bob Sutton is out and Steve Spagnuolo expected to be the new defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. Big thanks to all of you guys for downloading and listening to the podcast. My name is Farzi Masugian. Thank you all for listening. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Podbean. Spread the word. Hit the share button on the podcast links. Spread the word on social media. I'm on social media. Facebook.com slash Farzi Masugian. Twitter.com slash Farzi21. Like my page on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter. And my email is Farzine at Farzin Once again, I am Farzi Vasugian. Thank you all for listening to the podcast. Enjoy your weekend. I will talk to you next Monday. We will have a full-blown off-season preview. Who is going to become a free agent for the Chiefs? What free agents are out there? And what are the top five needs for the Chiefs? You guys spoke on that on social media. I'll review some of your comments and we'll see 
what you guys agreed on the most for that. All of that and much more on Monday. Talk to you then.